Pastor Xavier Reese and the reason for the season. A child is born and a son is given. The Holy One who was to be born would be called the Son of God. He would be the fulfillment of the promise to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.15. This long-awaited promise that to many may have seemed so delayed and maybe even, should we even believe it, He was the promised Messiah right on time. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Anticipating the most wonderful time of the year, for the young and young at heart, Christmas can never come soon enough. But when it comes to the ancient nation of Israel waiting for the promised Messiah, the arrival of the Christ child was a prophecy remaining unfulfilled for literally thousands of years. But in a message titled, The Royal Birth Announcement, Pastor Xavier describes the humble birth of a king whose kingdom will have no end. Here he is with today's Simple Truths. There had been 400 years of silence between the Old Testament, what we know now as the New Testament. There was no New Testament at the time, but the New Testament was going to begin. 400 years of silence, and God broke his silence as he spoke to Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, as the angel Gabriel appeared to him in the temple as he went to do his course of priesthood. And um, he declared to him the birth of his son, John the Baptist, as he had interceded for his wife because she was barren. And God was at work even though men were completely ignorant or not. It makes no difference. God now here in the Gospel of Luke is going to send the angel Gabriel to announce to this young girl named Mary that she's going to bear the Christ child in her womb. And it unfolds for us here in three movements, verses 26 to 38. First, we have the magnanimous visitation to Mary, verses 26 to 29. Secondly, the miraculous revelation to Mary in verse 30 to 33. And then thirdly, the marvelous consolation to Mary in 34 to 38. Notice verse 26, the angel Gabriel is the person announcing the birth of the Messiah. And the time of Gabriel's coming was in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the mother of John the Baptist, who was Mary's cousin. As you look at the whole text, especially verse 36, it gives us a contrast and it gives that timeline. Mary is called here a virgin, Parthenos, one who um, was pure. Mary was fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy of Isaiah 7.14. A virgin shall bear a child. And so Mary here is fulfilling that prediction. Now notice Mary was also betrothed to Joseph of the house of David. The house was the lineage of David through Joseph as well as Mary, Matthew and Luke. So both of them have access to the line of David. The proclamation to Mary was to rejoice. Mary was told to rejoice in her situation that was only going to bring suspicion, gossip, and criticism to her life. Mary was then given, notice, the reasons why she was to rejoice. She's called highly favored one, which means um, to peruse with grace or compass with favor. She was honored with blessing, notice, due to the fact that God was graciously and sovereignly choosing her. 
The declaration was that Mary was blessed. Notice, among, not above, other women. I point this out because the Catholic Church declares that Mary was sinless. But in fact, she was not sinless because she herself in 47 of this chapter and uh, 48 declares that she's a sinner. It's called a magnificent here. It says, in my spirit, this is Mary speaking, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. She acknowledged she was a sinner in need of grace and forgiveness. She acknowledged Jesus as her Savior, one like all others. This was a magnanimous visitation to Mary. Notice, secondly, you have the miraculous revelation to Mary in 30 to 33. In 30 to 31, the angel revealed the personal privilege of Mary. Mary was told not to be afraid, for she had found favor with God, and Mary would conceive in her womb and bring forth a son. She was to call his name Jesus, the Greek name of the Hebrew Joshua, which is the contraction of Yahweh Shua, Jehovah's salvation, or Yahweh's salvation. So the name Jesus means exactly that. That's his earthly name. Messiah is a title, the anointed of God. And that's what men and women must agree on with God, that he is God who became man, who died for the sins of the world, and rose from the dead, and sits at the right hand of the Father. Notice in 32 to 33, the angel revealed the prophetic accuracy to Mary. In 32, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. He will be the Son of God. Everybody knows John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is God's Son. He will be God, the second person of the Trinity, co-equal with the Father, and eternal. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and God was the Word. In verse 14, the Word became flesh, and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 1 Timothy 3.16 confirms He was God, that unapproachable light, incarnate. He would be Emmanuel, Matthew 1.23 tells us, God with us. How many people say, where in the Bible does it say that Jesus is God? I just gave you a few, but they're all over the place. Are you kidding me? This is his story. <laughs> this is all about him. It's a red thread from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament, the covenant, the, the artifacts, the tabernacle, offerings, everything prophetic of Jesus in shadows and types. He's the fulfillment of all. He would have given the throne of his father David, it says. A promise of David. You remember in 2 Samuel chapter 7, 14 through 16. Fulfillment of Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. It would be through the line of David, the genealogies of Matthew, the genealogies of Luke. Perfect. His kingdom would never end, it says in 33. Mary, remember, acknowledged her own need of a Savior and rejoiced in her Savior and God in verse 47. Mary was stunned and humbled by this great privilege, a chosen vessel. Not because she was better than anybody else. Wow, what maturity. 
Just as Mary housed the Son of God in her womb, you as a believer house the Son of God in your body. He gave the Holy Spirit. Paul says to the Corinthians that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But if you read John 14, 15, and 16, it says the Father will make his abode in you, I'll make our, my abode in you, and so will the Spirit. So it's a crowded place in there. All three persons of the Godhead abide in you. Not just the Spirit of God. So what God did for Mary, he did no less for you or for I. Just as Mary was called to be one with the Son of the Highest, each one has been brought into the same fellowship now. Just as Mary submitted to the reign of God through her life. If you're a Christian, you've entered the kingdom of God, and now you submit your life to him, that his will may be done, not your own. And your life will give that evidence. But her faith was based on the revelation of God. If what you believe is contrary to scripture or an addition, then you're not a Christian. It's not faith. For faith to be biblical, it has to point you back to the revelation of God's word. If it's not according to the scriptures, if it contradicts it, if it adds to it or takes away from it, then it's foolishness. Faith is not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's not some gut experience. It's that I believe God's revelation and I accept it. That's faith. Everything else is foolishness. This was the miraculous revelation to Mary. She embraced it. Notice thirdly, you have the marvelous consolation to Mary in 34 to 38. In 34, the young woman, Mary, asked the question to clear up her confusion. Again, 14, 15, 16 years old. She's in this dialogue. How can this be, since I do not know a man? In other words, she's never known a man sexually. This is the way the word to know a man is being used here. She didn't understand how it's possible. There's nothing wrong with this reason. It's natural. It's normal. Faith asks questions and reasons. There are times in my life, oh, Lord, what's going on? Why is this? What's that? God doesn't say, you, how dare you doubt me? But that's why we study. But God doesn't mind questions. Faith is not opposed to reason. Faith is only reasonable when it bows to the scriptures. To do anything else is foolishness. Notice the young woman, Mary, heard the proclamation of the angel. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, the third person of the Trinity, the one who would be given to the church after the raising of Jesus Christ on the day of Pentecost. John told us that in John 7, 39. In the Old Testament, not everybody was given the Holy Spirit, only special people, priests, prophets, people for specific tasks like the tabernacle. But in the New Testament, now the Spirit of God comes in us. As we're born again. The power of the highest will overshadow you. And the word overshadow simply means to envelop. The word is used of the Holy Spirit exerting creative energy here upon the womb of the Virgin Mary to impregnate her. God's at work. Notice then that the young woman, Mary here, perceived her partnership with God. The Holy One 
was to be born. God uses human instruments, always has, always will. By the way, imperfect vessels. The phrase Holy One is the common phrase of the Old Testament, as you know, for God. The book of Isaiah repeats it over and over and over again. The phrase is specific, not just another or one who is holy, but the, the only one who is holy and the one who is the source of man's holiness. The one who hears holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty by the seraphim that are flying overhead with two wings they cover their face, two their feet, and two they fly. The holy one who was to be born would be called the Son of God. He would be the fulfillment of the promise to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman. No woman has seed. She has the egg. The man provides the seed. This long-awaited promise that to many may have seemed so delayed and maybe even, should we even believe it, 2,000 years from Adam to Abraham. 2,000 more years from Abraham to the end of the Old Testament, the New Testament. 4,000. But God was right on time. God has never been late. Galatians 4.4 4 says, In the fullness of time had come, God sent forth a son made of a woman under the law. God's never been tardy. <laughs> right on time. The scriptures confirm the fulfillment of this prophecy in Romans 8, 2 Corinthians, uh, Galatians, Hebrews, throughout the New Testament. He was the promised Messiah over and over and over again. Now, Look at 36 and 37. The young woman, Mary, receives personal information here. Elizabeth, who was barren, had conceived a son in her old age. How good God is. God has just revealed something through the angel Gabriel here. Difficult things, but then he gives her some food for faith. Because her cousin was barren, old, and God had answered her husband Zachariah's prayer, their desire for a child. She being barren had been lifted up to God by her husband. In fact, when he went into the temple for his priestly course in Luke 1, 13 through 17, Gabriel appeared to him and shared with him that God had heard his prayers and that um, he would have a son. And he sort of doubted and the angel told him, you are not going to be able to speak until the dedication of that child. And we have that record. The child to be born was John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a cousin of Jesus. He was six months older than Jesus. Elizabeth is now six months pregnant. Look at 37, Elizabeth's conception. Or Mary's was not based on man's doing. Both of those pregnancies. So it's not just that she's pregnant. This is God's doing. Elizabeth's pregnancy was to exhort her to trust God. The fact was that for with God, nothing will be impossible. He's the one who set up all the boundaries of the universe, all the natural laws. He can do whatever he wants. If he created them, can he not suspend them? 
Look at 38. The young one, Mary, gave personal submission to God's will. Her perspective regarding herself was seeing herself as the slave to God by choice. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. This is how she identifies herself. The phrase maidservant appears three times in the New Testament, in verse 38 and 48, and then in chapter 2, verse 18 of Acts. The meaning is one who is God's vessel servant to work in and through. But God doesn't do this without people's permission. God has never forced anybody to yield to be a work of God. God looks for vessels who will yield to him. And God honors the obedience of that vessel. Notice her priority for life was God's will. Let it be to me according to your word. Committing herself to God in her suffering as to a faithful creator, 1 Peter 4.19. And she had a very difficult life. Her entire life. Committing herself to God's will, his purpose, and his plan. Because God dealt with her individually. She didn't follow man, she followed the Lord. Mary was willing to experience disgrace, even risk divorce, as a servant of God. Knowing that if he is big enough to do this, he's big enough to take care of the aftermath if I obey him. Her visitation, revelation, and consolation had been fulfilled. And so the angel departed from her. His mission was completed. The facts known about a mother's blood and that of a child during pregnancy is very interesting. This is one of the objections by many who do not believe the virgin birth. Listen carefully. It is unnecessary that a single drop of blood be given to the developing embryo in the womb of a mother. Such is the case according to scientists. The mother provides the fetus, the unborn developing infant, with the nutritive elements for the building of that little body in the secret of her womb. But all the blood which forms in it is formed in the embryo itself. From the time of conception to the time of the birth of the infant, not one single drop of blood ever passes from mother to child. The placenta, that mass of temporary tissue known better as afterbirth, forming the link between mother and child, is so constructed that although all the uh, soluble nutritives elements such as protein, fats, carbohydrates, salts, minerals, and even antibodies pass freely from mother to child, and the waste products of the child's metabolism are passed back to the mother's circulation, no actual interchange of a single drop of blood ever occurs normally. All the blood which is in that child is produced within the child itself. The mother contributes no blood at all. The book, The Chemistry of the Blood. So what may be, yeah, well, you know, I'm real educated. I have a heart. Listen, listen to me. You're not that smart. No one has ever had an intellectual problem with God. The problem with you is your heart. That's the problem. The problem is the heart. If you were intellectually honest looking at your life, because you know you better than anybody else, you would know that you need salvation. You would know 
that you're not perfect. You would know that evil in your heart has occurred often. God uses the gospel to shed light, using our reason to reflect upon our heart of how far short we fall of pleasing God. Now, Mary didn't know all this stuff. Didn't matter to her. And even if she did, she's considering the source. With God, nothing's impossible. He can suspend all the natural loss. If he spoke everything into existence from nothing, what can be a problem? If you believe the creation story of Genesis 1 and 2, you've got no problem with the rest of the Bible. Simple. That's why he put it at the beginning. Often the objections of people involved in excluding the abilities of God by limiting him by their own ability to understand and perform that task. The ability to forgive sins, maybe. And you can't understand how God can forgive everything of a person's life, especially the one that hurts you. I can't believe in the God that he would save him. He's a rat and, you know, me, I've done good, really. So see, that offends us, the ability to live above sin. You find it impossible if you're a non-believer. But we're not talking about sinlessness. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about life transformation, that we don't live the way we used to while we still have the ability to sin and fall short. Our life has been transformed drastically by the choices we make, by the Word of God, the Spirit of God. But that offends people. And rightly, they can't understand because it's not a matter of just intellectual reasoning. It's a matter of illumination by the Spirit of God and conviction. The believer is always instructed by God in His Word as to the ways and the means and the hows of God. They're far beyond man, as Isaiah 55 says. Higher than the heavens. Because God lives in the eternal aspect of time, where there is no time. He's the creator. We've been created. And we're just passing through time. Don't blink. Time flies. The salvation of man is really not impossible for God. Man is the one who makes and places the limits on God. God can do anything. But what he won't do is force you to go to heaven. God cannot change your heart unless you give permission through that new birth. Jesus is the reason for the season. But this is the declaration that God needs to hear from you. You ready for it? Mary said it. Behold, the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. Verse 39. Perfect gentleman. This was the marvelous consolation to Mary. What an incredible, incredible day. If ever our nation needed to heed the gospel, our nation is lost. Our leaders are lost. I can say that without any hesitation by the policies they pass, by the lies they say. It's real simple. It's not that difficult. The standards of the scriptures. And so here you have the announcement of the angel Gabriel to Mary, who would bear the Son of God. Unfolded for us in these three movements, the magnanimous visitation to Mary, how great God is. The miraculous revelation to Mary. What incredible good news. The marvelous consolation to Mary. The affirmation of God and what he says. He does. He alone. No one else. 
God sent his son for you to die. But first, he needs to be born. So you might call upon his name and be saved. The Son of God, born of a virgin, sent to die for the world. Pastor Xavier Reese has been delivering a special message examining the reason for the season in the greatest gift ever given, Jesus the Messiah. And you can request a copy of today's encouraging message called The Royal Birth Announcement. As always, you can pick up a copy on CD for only $4. And make sure you pass along this message with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Now, the title to ask for once again is The Royal Birth Announcement. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com